This is FM 100.5, 101.9, AM 1450, and WGNSRadio.com. Rutherford County's Place to Talk. Stand by, Rutherford County. The WGNS Action Line continues a search for truth. Right now that time, 820, you're tuned to WGNS again on this Wednesday morning. And this morning in studio, we have guests from the Rutherford County Sheriff's Office. And we'll be talking about some different programs there that inmates can participate in. And also, the jail has just been recertified recently. So we'll update you on that and let you know what all that means. And with us, Jail Administrator Chris Fly and Captain Brian Elrod. So tell us first about the recertification. On the recertification, it's recently taken place from the last couple of months. Uh, TCI came in, inspected uh, for sanitation, um, inspected the medical facilities, inspected the kitchen, inspected all the uh, housing areas, intakes, paperwork, uh, budget, went through the whole gauntlet of uh, areas and uh, found no deficiencies. So with the uh, recertification, what, what does that mean? Because I know you hear about it in the news, it seems like at least every year or so, uh, but what does it mean? Uh, when the facility is certified by the state of Tennessee, it gives you extra coverage for liability and um, it just basically means you're uh, providing the care that uh, the state recommends and it's usually a it's re usually recommended across uh, the nation, like the good practices within the correctional field. So when they come in to inspect the jail, as they're walking through, what, what are they looking at? Are they also talking to inmates, talking to guards? What, what are they doing? Uh, they talk to uh, the guards. They talk to the inmates. They may ask them very, uh, various questions, maybe uh, kind of like, uh, how are the mills here? Uh, do you have any complaints? How are you doing? and they look at the uh, sanitation of the facility as they go through it. They might even go into the cells and see if there's any clutter or anything. Uh, of course, they look for like any type of pest uh, issues and they look for wiring, they look for uh, fire safety issues, they look for exit signs, check the fire extinguishers, they um, check all of the uh, inventory logs, so. Yeah, I can just see them having conversations with the inmates. You know, how you like it here? Well, it's just like home. I love it. It's my second house. <laughs> I mean, how does those? How does that go? How do those conversations flow? Because it's got to be a little different. Um, most of the time, it's uh, it flows pretty well. Um, I could say like ninety to ninety-five percent of them are just there to do their time and uh, to get out of custody. Um, in corrections, uh, we're there to provide a safe and secure environment so uh, we're not we're not there to dish out any additional punishment uh, their punishment is they lost the freedom itself so uh, we try to provide the cleanest environment possible the safest environment possible and uh, you know any given day you might have uh, 15 to 20 checked into protective custody um, five years ago we had 80 to 100 in protective custody. So when the uh, facility, when the inmates start feeling safer, you'll see a lot less inmates checking into protective custody. So looking back over the start of the pandemic to today, the number of inmates has been reduced due to COVID-19. Is that correct? At least that's, that's correct. Okay. So how many are there today? Today, uh, the report said about 590. So that number is down quite a bit compared to before COVID numbers. It is. You could say it's down um, a little bit below, uh, you know, um, 200 and something. So, and currently today, um, since the state 
put a freeze on uh, all of the holds last year in 2020 and we were uh, couldn't release any uh, TDOC inmates to uh, to them um, currently they're um, trying to get back to 90% uh, capacity so they've been taking a lot of inmates out of our custody which has maintained this low population currently but uh, as soon as they fill back up they'll put a freeze on taking state inmates and we expect to see a, a an incline in the population but uh, you know as uh, always we hope the population doesn't become become overburdensome and uh, it maintains a reasonable level where we can keep up with our classification. Rutherford County Jail Administrator Chris Fly so right now after somebody goes to trial and then they're if they are found guilty and they say well, the judge says all right next step is going to be prison 10 years whatever the case is how long before they actually go to the prison uh, because with COVID and all that like you were saying things have changed uh right now it's uh they could go within a week two weeks it could be uh even days depending on if they've got their sentence documentation and uh in the past it might take months maybe years uh, anybody with an eight year or above sentence we try to get them uh, to the state uh, pretty rapidly because it's usually the uh, most heinous of crimes but the ones that are eight years and less we may keep them um, at the jail to perform like pod duties and cleaning and passing out meals okay so it's actually gotten a lot faster it sounds like it has so once somebody is told they're going to be in state prison for X amount of years uh, what kind of paperwork has to be done because I know that's a I'm sure a big process transferring them you know from the local courts to the local jail and then to the state custody uh, with the paperwork we collect all the, all of their judgments that actually uh, refers to their sentence that's going to put them in um, custody for like a certain amount of time they might have five different charges with five different ranges of sentence so we have to collect all that paperwork uh, we collect all their medical documentation uh, from uh, our contract service, provide that to them. If uh, one uh, box is left checked off uh, in incorrectly, the state will turn them down until we get the uh, paperwork corrected from the uh, judicial services. I, I know a few years back there were talks of actually expanding the jail because you needed more space, but now that you're with a lower population, what, what does that look like in the future? It looks like it's going to postpone that, which is uh, not bad. Yeah. So we're actually, uh, you know, I'm actually okay with that. You know, um, you know, I'm curious. Do some counties around the state, or maybe in other states, have different location of j different locations of jails? Like maybe have one in, let's say, Smyrna or Vern, and then the other right here in, in Murfreesboro. Uh, you could go through other states. They may have like a municipal, like city jails and different things like that. Usually, like with a city jail, those are um, shorter-term holding facilities. They might may only be able to hold them up to 72 hours because once you hold them beyond 72 hours, you have to comply with the whole uh, gauntlet of um, requirements from the state for housing inmates. 72 hours. Um, you don't really have to provide them very much just phone calls showers and just very limited services but once you go beyond that 72 hours you got to do the whole physical exam you have to um, do a classification for housing units and you have to go into a lot more detail 
Also with this morning, with us this morning, Deputy Jill Miles, and you had the different programs that inmates participate in. Uh, are all inmates eligible to participate in different programs or do they have to meet a certain criteria first? They do have to meet a certain criteria first. Um, some of them, for some of our programs, they have to be sentenced depending on um, what program it is and their classification. So what are the different programs that you have there? Right now at the jail, we have reentry who comes in and teaches numerous different classes. We also have the Doors of Hope program that comes in. We have AA um, that comes in. We have about 20 churches right now that come in and do Bible studies at the present moment. And um, <clears throat> some of the classes are anger management, MRT, seeking safety, relapse prevention. We have a codependency that um, reentry teaches. Doors of Hope teaches some of the similar um, classes and those are for the females. Reentry is for the males. And they have um, individual counseling that they come in and do, mental health counseling, um, life's healing choices, healthy relationships. They do different workbooks for the females and um, they get them through different steps and then they finish that and move on to a new workbook. And for the reentry process, uh, they prefer for them to be have at least 90 days left in custody, up to a year left in custody because this uh, program is specifically focusing on preparing them for reentry into society. Let's talk a little bit more about that when we come back. We got to take a short break and we'll talk about some of the different reentry programs because that, that sounds pretty interesting and I'm sure you know, that's, that's a point in an in inmate's life where they're kind of excited to get out. So that, I'm sure that's an interesting class. Time right now, 8.30. We're going to head to Bart Walker right now, who is live at Hummingbird Hill, located in Smyrna. Uh, Bart, what's going on out there at Hummingbird Hill? I tell you, it's beautiful here today, Scott. This is just gorgeous. And being on top of this hill makes it even more enjoyable because there's a gentle breeze here and the sun is coming down. With us is Helen Mater, and she's having a ball with all the folks coming in and everything. Tell us what is so special about Hummingbird Hill. Well, Hummingbird Hill is actually owned by a family, and our goal at Hummingbird Hill is to build a community, a safe place for our tenants. Um, and we have potluck dinners and uh, bingo and just all kinds of events to bring our community together. We do some health screenings from time to time. We have the police come in and do some classes. So we just want everybody to come and be able to gather safely and together and make this their home. Oh, it's beautiful too. Uh, elevators here, yes. uh, recreation room. Tell us more about the amenities here. So here at Hummingbird, we actually have an outside fitness area. We have an inside fitness room. We have a computer lab. We have a library. We have a common room, which is going to end up being like a big comfy living room. Mm -hmm. um, we have space on each of our landings, which is another gathering space for our tenants. And we have a huge community room um, where we're going to have a TV and do bingo and just get together. Oh, I tell you, this is a place to check out today because today is the grand opening, and between now and five o'clock, come take a tour, take advantage of the specials, and where are you located? 
We are at 443 Mason Tucker Drive. Once you turn onto Mason Tucker Drive, we are the first driveway on the left. You can't see the facility from the road, but you can see our sign. And you can see the hill, too. Yes. <laughs> yes, you We're can just see the hill. I'm here waiting for the hummingbirds, so they have it. I feel like that old song about the songs, uh, the birds coming back from Capistrano or something. I think they got lost in the I think the they're not here yet, but uh, <laughs> we're waiting patiently for the hummingbirds. So if you just make some time today to come on over to Hummingbird Hill, it is beautiful here and your dreams can come true. 443 Mason Tucker Drive in Smyrna. Helen Maynard is with us. Helen, thanks for joining us. Thanks so much for being here. If you've got an iPhone, we have an app for that. If you're an Android user, we have an app for that too. You can listen to us anywhere, on air and on demand. We're News Radio WGNS. Hi, this is Peter Demas with Demas's Restaurants. One of the new menu items that we have added is our Salmon Imperial. Our Salmon Imperial is a fresh cut piece of salmon with shrimp and a crab meat blend. And then we've put our Alfredo sauce on top of it. It's great for a low carb diet that you can get with spinach, but also it just has an amazing flavor with a mixture of all those flavors between the shrimp Alfredo and then our salmon. Please have your family join our family for lunch or dinner seven days a week at Demas's. Family Staffing Solutions is proud of our local veterans. I'm Becky Bookner, and as life challenges appear, talk with Family Staffing Solutions about how we can help you stay at home. Call Family Staffing Solutions. Family Staffing Solutions. WGNS proudly salutes and remembers our U.S. veterans who have served our country. United States Army, 1967, and I got out in 1969. In this salute, we talk to a veteran who fought in the Vietnam War. My base pay was $81 when I went into the Army, and they said if you go to jump school and jump out of the airplanes, we'll pay you an additional $55. I said, wow, that's what I chose to do. We're talking with Russell Ashton. Of course, it was a lot of good training. I mean, we're talking about getting physically fit. And I'm sure boot camp was a whole lot different back then then compared to today it's a different world it sure is you're a veteran who served during a wartime the average citizen I don't think they understand what that means I don't think they understand what things you may have seen and it's hard to even comprehend when you start to think about it that's right I just I think about it all the time no one has ever looked through my eyes and no one has ever worn my boots I guess that's hard for other people to understand. People here in the great America don't have a clue what's going on in the world. They're just standing around in the dark in broad open daylight. What was life like after you got out of Vietnam and came back home? I immediately went to work due to the fact of how my parents raised me up. I thank God every day for the way that my mother and father raised me up. This has been a salute to veterans on WGNS Radio. Restoration One of Middle Tennessee. A team of experts and immediate responders who help homeowners after disaster strikes. After disaster strikes. Fire, water, or storm damage. We can help you get your life back to normal quickly. Restoration One Middle Tennessee.com. Locally and veteran. You can make a meaningful difference in 2021. KidLink Community Services is currently seeking foster parents in your area. KidLink provides free training and certification. Contact KidLink today at 877-714-1313 or KidLinkServices.com. 
The Action Line on FM 100.5, 101.9, AM 1450, and WGNSRadio.com. We're Rutherford County's place to talk. Right now that time, 8.36, you're tuned to WGNS. We have guests from the Rutherford County Sheriff's Office on the air with us in studio this morning. And before that break, we were talking with Deputy Jill Miles about the different programs at the local jail right here in Murfreesboro. And one of those programs was the re-entry program. And with that, what, what are the inmates' attitudes whenever they're taking this class? Well, actually, they have a pretty positive attitude. It helps them get ready to go back into society. And I have numerous inmates that actually ask to attend that class. But with that, they have to be sentenced. So um, anger management is a big thing in there. It helps them grow and learn while they're in jail um, one of the most important times to control their anger so that helps a lot they do a couple of those classes in re-entry and then when that those classes get over then they start new classes so they can be in there for anywhere from eight weeks to 16 weeks and complete all the classes now with inmates at the local jail we're talking about crimes that are usually what misdemeanor low case low-grade felonies what what are we talking about here we do have some misdemeanors but we also have felonies uh depending what um their sentence is uh usually we try to for re-entry class anywhere from one to two years max um taking this class because they can be shipped to the tdoc so during this time right now we hope that you know they can actually finish this class before they get released so what is the longest a person can be sentenced in a local jail versus being sent to prison or is there a difference because you know if you have a murder case and he's convicted of murder then he's obviously going to go to a state prison for x amount of years Mm -hmm. but they wouldn't go to a local jail for x amount of years it depends on uh space available with the state because they can actually house them here until they have space available so uh we've had them in custody from five to eight years consistent and for uh, some of our pre-trial uh, inmates they may be in custody one two three four years before their trial's even over with we just had uh, one uh, young man um, sentenced um two months ago and he's been in custody for about three and a half years wow so and hope i don't really know what he's going to face when he goes back um to court to actually get that sentence but uh you know some sometimes these trials take um quite a long time you know to get all the uh their stuff together get the attorneys get their attorneys appointed and get them through the system so what is the big difference with let's say the local jail versus a state prison as far as the different programs, the different schedules they have the inmates on, uh, what what sets it all apart? Uh, what mostly sets it apart is um, like a state prison, they usually have more funding. So they're going to have industrial programs. Uh, they're going to have uh, more workshops than we do. Currently, uh, the governor has uh, released some funding for grants uh, that are available to uh, local jails to increase and enhance programming. So uh, we are... Um, going to apply for a $50,000 grant from the state so we can enhance some of our reentry programs. 
but uh, the state um, they have uh, just a lot more resources and programming and they can actually uh, afford to hire the staff to man those posts kind of like with our agency uh, most of the positions are going to be grant funded or volunteer based so I guess bottom line, the prison is set up for long-term stays versus short-term of a local jail. Yes, sir. So what all happens day-to-day in the local jail? I mean, I'm sure you have everything on occasion of fights to people even trying to break out. I, I mean, these are things, I guess, that are reality, uh, which I don't think the audience really, <laughs> if they've never been to jail, they don't know what happens in the jail. Uh, no, they don't know what happens in the jail. Uh, the fights um, currently uh, seems like they're steady, decreasing. Um, anytime there's a fight within the facility, we investigate the whole thing. And we actually take out criminal charges for fights. So if we uh, see the fight visually on the camera or have enough evidence to prove that there was a fight, We'll charge them with assault and send them through the court system, which has actually uh, prevented more fights from happening. So we do everything we can to curb the violence, even with extended stays in uh, restrictive housing, segregation, um, especially if they've been in two or more fights. And you can reasonably say that they're a uh, risk to others and to themselves when um, they uh, exhibit, the, exhibit those violent tendencies. Hey, I've taken a tour of the jail, you know, years ago. Then I, I took another tour under, a, I, I don't remember, it may be recently, probably in the last two years I took a tour as well. But it's interesting because every time you go back, it's almost as if it's a different atmosphere, you know, because you always have different inmates. And I'm sure at times you're going to have some inmates who like to cause more problems than others. So it's a changing atmosphere probably daily. It is because of the you know constant intakes of inmates. Uh, um, you really don't know what type of uh, personalities or characters you're gonna have within the unit, but we do use a classification system, which uh, basically goes off their current criminal history, past criminal history, any type of gang affiliation, any type of medical problems. And we also go off institutional behavior. So if they have a behavior uh, that's flagged within the system that they're gonna, they're always been a safety and security risk, we'll have to separate them immediately. And they're gonna have to work their way back into general population if they come back in. Sometimes it looks like it's almost like a, uh, I don't know, a fourth grade class of unruly boys <laughs> at times. I, I mean, because you have all different levels of education. You got different issues with maybe mental illness or other problems i mean there's just a lot happening within those walls and there's a lot happening within the minds of those who are there it's uh sometimes unpredictable but uh you know you have to uh with our um, deputies we try to get them to stay actively engaged within the units doing walkthroughs and engaging with inmates and usually if you have if you have more interaction with the inmates you're going to learn a lot more about what's going on in, within those units. You get a lot of intel, and we also have uh, other avenues that we collect intel, which is phone, the phone system, text, and emails. We collect a lot of intel from that. Uh, we um, have certain items uh, flagged within the system, kind of like if uh, someone says fight, then we know to investigate that certain unit for a fight. So uh, we have... Uh, some very uh, proactive approaches to uh, taking care of those situations and actually uh, making the environment better for the inmates and 
Um, a lot of them, a lot of them feel uh, pretty comfortable talking to the deputies and sharing things like that. And if they don't feel safe within a unit, uh, they'll put their stuff on the door and uh, we'll move them out of the unit. And with us uh, actually getting stricter on like uh, prosecuting, uh, you know, and filing criminal charges on them for assault or vandalism, you know, if they pop a sprinkler head or anything else like that, we can uh, charge them with vandalism. Um, with us doing that, usually if there's one troublemaker in the unit, uh, we've seen the whole pod say, you need to go ahead and collect your stuff and put it on the door. And they'll communicate that to the deputies, which, you know, it's uh, intriguing how the dynamics and the community works within uh, the jail system. And, you know, uh, some of the worst case scenarios that we've had uh, uh, that may happen um, throughout our special housing units like restrictive housing, more violent offenders, or even the offenders that have severe mental health issues. Uh, they throw urine, pee, feces at officers, uh, other inmates, and uh, you know, they try to assault the officers. And uh, you know, you have to really be on your guard anytime you're walking through a housing unit with these inmates because um, anything could happen at any time. Uh, it's a very dangerous job overall, especially just imagine, uh, you know, we got usually three people working a tower, one in control, two roving the floors, and you could have anywhere between 100 to 200 inmates on that one floor that you're responsible for. You're uh, navigating through those units, checking on every individual inmate every hour, sometimes every 45 minutes on your security walkthroughs making sure they're all okay, breathing uh, safe, and uh, no physical uh, deformities, maybe like a black eye, that would be an indicator of a fight. You're navigating your whole way through there and, um, you know, dealing with a lot of different personalities. And, you know, uh, you have to be able to communicate being a deputy and you have to be aware of your surroundings and be aware of uh, um, trigger events maybe you might see a bunch of uh, inmates forming up in a corner of course you know that needs to be investigated and looked into again this morning in studio we have guests from the rutherford county sheriff's office the local jail we have chris fly brian elrod and jill miles in studio this morning and uh, again talking about the local jail and all that goes on within the jail so back to the programs that take place there how long is a typical program? Because I know you were talking about the reentry program and you like to have inmates on board with that at least within 90 days before they get out. So how long are all these different programs? The reentry program, uh, we have two classes that they usually teach at one time. So after they finish that class, then they can move on to the rest of the classes that reentry teaches. So if it's eight or 12 weeks, they'll finish that class and then they'll move on to the next ones. So they could be in there for three months. And what kind of learning curve do you have? Because I'm sure there is a large percentage of inmates who come there who don't know how to read. Well, during the class, we do work with them during, you know, if they have to read out loud or or sometimes they'll make the volunteers, you know, let them know that they're not very good at reading. Um, in some of my classes, for my female classes, um, I have seen that where they do have problems reading and 
others or the teacher will help them out during that time that they're reading out loud. I'm sure over the years that y'all have worked there at the jail, you have been able to kind of figure out or have a better understanding, if you would, of, you know, the type of person that lands themselves behind bars. And I'm curious, how big of a role does education play in the inmates that you see come in day to day? Well, some of the people that come in actually have a college degree. So really, it ranges from people not having their high school diploma or GED to people that have actually been in college for four years. So really, you never know. We also do um, offer uh, high set or GED classes at the jail um, normally. And a couple of our last classes prior to COVID, I actually had numerous uh, males that pass their GED test. I, I'm sure, I mean, it's not like you have a room full of doctors that get arrested <laughs> and come in, but I, I'm sure there is, I'm guessing, a higher percentage of those who didn't finish high school or those who, uh, you know, didn't, maybe they didn't go on to college. I, I, do you have any idea what that percentage would be? I'm not really sure about the percentage and, you know, I like to, um, that's probably one of the main factors, but you know, your environment and uh, the stability of your environment and the structure that you receive when you're growing up contributes probably to a majority of that. Because when you live in an unstructured environment with uh, no rules or uh, no boundaries, um, people are more prone to break those uh, boundaries and end up in incarcerated. How big of a role do you think somebody's childhood plays on, you know, once they hit 19, 20, 30 years old later in life? I mean, how big of a role of what happened to them during childhood ends with them getting arrested for X, Y, Z later in life? I worked at um, the juvenile detention center for about 15 years. So a lot of these inmates that are incarcerated right now remember me from working at the juvenile and a lot of them do express uh, trauma during their childhood. And um, one of the good things about these reentry programs is that a, they focus on the trauma that they've experienced during childhood and try to uh, get them to uh, recognize it, recover from it, and to uh, have, uh, I guess, obtain good coping skills to that. But uh, a lot of them do express uh, trauma. I, I'm sure if somebody grew up with you know a stepfather or father beating the person's mom you know his wife over and over again day after day i'm sure if you see that every single day it's ingrained in you and next thing you know you're married and you're doing the same thing Mm -hmm. so these people have to learn how to break these chains and are there programs in the jail that help inmates break chains like domestic violence uh there can with these two type of programs they can but with the uh small number that attend these i think that's um maybe the downfall because the prison system gets a majority of the money for reentry, rehabilitation and stuff like that and the state kind of leaves out the locals um so with the anger management does the court say once you get in jail you need to take this anger management course or are these elective courses at times Mm -hmm. They have to. They are required to take anger management or a parenting class. 
and that's why we offer those classes while they're actually incarcerated so they can attend those classes and most of them will complete the classes when they're out because they're going to be on probation or they have to report to uh their uh, the recovery courts mental health courts substance abuse courts and we had a text message question asking if uh, information about who is jailed and what they're charged with is all of that public record you can look on the app and see what they're uh, charged with when they come in and intake and uh, certain things are public record like their name and the charges but you may not be able to get their addresses phone numbers and very detailed information and currently you know um, we hold we're holding a lot of felonies right now and I could say that we range between 30 and 40 that are pretrial held in custody for homicide murder and stuff like that so um, 10 percent of them are going to be on you know held for very heinous charges within uh, the jail you know it's wild because here in murphy's bro let's say in 1990 the population was probably less than half of what it is today and nobody would have imagined that we'd have a jail where there's you know let's say 10 people who are being held waiting trial for murder charges mm -hmm. you know but th that's i guess the reality of it today that as we grow crime is going to increase because our population's increasing it's correct so would you ever i guess looking back and and i don't know if you've always lived here but would you ever have guessed this would be rutherford county uh not from because i think we moved into the area my dad and my mom moved us into the area around uh, 1980 so i've been here relatively a long time then you've seen the growth mm -hmm, i have and you know the growth from then until now has been exponential and you know of course us being one of the top counties within the nation uh, you know with people moving in um things like this are going to occur and um you know we might need more social services within the community and more uh avenues for uh, mental health treatment it's hard to believe i know there's a study out there by ut that says we're going to have a population of 500,000 <laughs> you know by year 2030 or something like that i think we're probably going to hit it before 2030 but it's it's hard to imagine how big our county is going to become because we're going to continue to grow and with that being said i guess the sheriff's office is going to have to go back to the idea of building on adding on to the current jail and i don't know if that means building upwards or building out um most likely they would just um build another complex on the current property we're already out of time i didn't even realize it because we got to go back to the live remote right now okay but, but uh thank you all for joining us and if anybody has any questions and they want to you know get better answers more in-depth answers in regards to the local jail what do they need to do uh, they can i mean we could just call the local up, number yeah, i guess they or? could call the local number but you know um sometimes we will do like uh, special tours and stuff like that okay but usually those are for large groups so we can get mass communication we do have a website they can go to to get information so um, I guess start by googling Rutherford County Jail. So go to our <laughs> website. One the two. They'll get a lot of information from our website. All right. Well, thank you again for joining us this morning, and I'm sure we'll have you back in studio soon. Uh, but yeah, thanks a lot. I appreciate it. Thank you. Time right now, 8:55. You're tuned to WGNS. We're going to take a short break, then we'll head back to Bart Walker, who is live at Hummingbird Hill this morning, located in Smyrna on Mason Tucker Drive.
Precision Air knows you want the air inside your home as safe and clean as possible. Clean the air in your home with an affordable UV system. WGNS listeners get $50 off. 615-930-0088. A whole house air purifier. 615-930-0088. Mark your calendars for the 54th Annual Murfreesboro Antique Show and Sale coming up July 16th, 17th, and 18th at the Middle Tennessee Expo Center at 1688 Middle Tennessee Boulevard. $7 gets you in for the whole weekend, so bring the family. Parking's free and food and drinks are available inside the venue. Old friends, new name, better together. As First National Bank of Murfreesboro transforms into Capstar Bank, our focus is on you. We're entering a new generation of banking in Rutherford County, but we'll always remain a community bank with local people you trust and uniquely exceptional service you deserve. We're at 2230 Mercury Boulevard, capstar.com. Member FDIC, Equal Housing Lender. We're everywhere you want to be. News Radio WGNS is on location with Bart Walker. And we are here at Hummingbird Hill. You need to be here at Hummingbird Hill, too. 443 Mason Tucker Drive in Smyrna. And we're talking with Helen Maynard. This is a beautiful facility. And they're touring these uh, beautiful apartments all through the day until 5 o'clock this afternoon. I just took a tour and saw the two-bedroom, the one-bedroom, saw all of the great facilities here. It's beautiful. Thank you. We have worked really hard to get ready for today. Um, we have two bedrooms, one bath that are 1,051 square feet. We have one bedroom, one bath that are 876 square feet. We have a indoor fitness center and outdoor fitness area. We have a picnic area with barbecue grills. Um, we have um, electronic door locks for safety. We have two types of fire suppression systems. Each uh, unit comes with a washer and dryer in the unit. Um, we have a library, a computer lab, a uh, common area. Uh, we have common areas on each floor that will be used as like large living rooms so that we can all get together. And you're specializing in senior citizens. Uh, one member of each household who rents from you has to be at least 62. Yes, that is correct. You must, uh, one member of the household must be 62 years of age or older. There are income restrictions. Um, and we require a background and credit check just to kind of help screen our tenants so that we know everyone is safe. So you can give up on the maintenance of your home. You don't have to mow the yard anymore. You don't have to worry about is the roof leaking. And you get a lower monthly rent, too. I mean, you, you can live here affordably. Yes, that is very important for us. We want it to be affordable for our residents. Um, we have 24-hour emergency maintenance on site, and we also have a site manager who lives on site. So we do our very best to make it easy for our tenants. Affordable luxury and a beautiful facility. Come on over to Hummingbird Hill today, and they're giving tours with some discounts and bonuses all the way up until 5 o'clock this afternoon. We're in Smyrna at 443 Mason Tucker Road, or Mason Tucker Drive. Yes. Uh, Helen Maynard is here, and she's looking forward to meeting you. Helen, thanks for joining us. Thank you so much. 
Scott, back over to you. Thanks a lot, Bart. Time right now, 8.59. I have local news coming your way next, live on WGNS. By the way, the winner of the Slick Pig Barbecue Banana Pudding this morning was Jim Cook. It's Jim's birthday today. It was called in by his brother, and today he gets homemade banana pudding. Compliments of Slick Pig Barbecue. At 1920 East Main and in Smyrna at 1303 Plaza Drive. Our good neighbor was McKenzie at George's Used Cars receiving free flowers from Ryan Flowers and Gifts today.